The scripture reading for tonight is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 28, 23, sorry. Then the Pharisees went and took counsel how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the money for the tax. And they brought him a coin. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. The word of God. Who do you think you are? You come in here with it all figured out, with my options all figured out. You know, just because you run the uh, world, you feel like you can act like you run the world. You know what? You left one option out. You left one option out. That's the opt-out option. Yeah, that's it. The opt-out. You know, I don't have to participate or accept the option that you give me, the one that you think is the only option for me, you money-training monger of... Listen, the opt-out option says this, right? That's right, I'm going to do the opt-out. I don't say yes to your plan and your power, and I don't say no. No. I disregard your options. That's it. I disregard them all. They seem ridiculous to me. They seem embarrassing to me. I'm not threatened or enticed by your options. I am slightly amused at best. It's all a thing, see? A pumped up, puffed out thing. Your power, your system, your power. It's like, grab the cultural bicycle pump and hook it up to your money nozzle and start to inflate. Start pumping. Yes, start pumping. Everybody take a turn. We all take a turn at that pump. Guess what, you miserable git? I ain't gonna pump no more. I ain't gonna pump no more. No, I ain't gonna pump on Maggie's farm no more. I ain't gonna let the air out either, though. I am not interested in deflating, to bend over and open that valve or hunch down on that pump, they're both bowing at your feet. Feet. I don't even call them feet. I don't regard them as feet. Your pumped up power body doesn't even look like a body to me. You don't breathe. You do not breathe. How can people not notice that you don't even breathe? It is tempting to take a swing at you. Tempting. 
but I'm not letting you pull me in that way either. You overflated, bounce-back bozo. Disregard. 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 Oh, my Lord, I will disregard. In the first chapter of Genesis, the Torah teaches us that God made Adam and the human race in the image of God. What does this mean? The ancient rabbis taught that Adam was the first human being. He was created as a single person to shew forth the greatness of the ruler who is beyond all rulers, the blessed Holy One. For if a human ruler, like Caesar, the Roman emperor, who was ruler in the time that the rabbis were writing, if Caesar mints a coin, many coins from a mold, then all the coins carry the same image. They all look exactly alike. But the Holy One shaped all human beings in the divine image, as Adam was, and yet not one of them resembles another. The rabbis drew an analogy between the image of a human ruler that a human ruler like Caesar puts upon the coins of the realm and the image the infinite ruler puts upon the many coins of humankind. The very diversity of human faces shows the unity and the infinity of God, whereas the uniformity of the imperial coins makes clear the limitations and the power of the emperor. Yes, the emperor or the empire or the masters of the universe, according to Thomas Wolfe, or the money guys or the image makers, yes, they are limited. They are limited in their power. But, no offense to the ancient rabbis, it, sometimes it seems kind of hard to believe that they're limited in their power. You know? Like, I agree with the ancient rabbis, but, and I can see theoretically the limitations of the empire. I guess pledging one's allegiance to the empire, consuming everything one is asked to consume, thinking everything one is told to think, choosing between red and blue, will not help you to love your neighbor. No, or to know your neighbor at all. It will not help you to become the person you were meant to be, to give you peace or contentment. The empire does not have the power to do anything like that. But the empire can tell you that it can do all those things. Love your neighbor, follow your bliss, find peace. There are all things that you can buy and programs to follow that will help you to achieve every one of those things. But they are not real. I don't know, maybe those are bad examples. I don't, maybe you got there ahead of me, but I don't know what I'm talking about. I was at this meeting, this gathering of people interested in some of these questions about, well, um, emperor, empire, or masters of the universe, or money guys, or image makers, or country runners and all their decrees and all their ramifications of the decrees they make. You know, I guess culture. Yeah, the people at this meeting, I guess they just called it culture. They were there, they wanted to talk about culture. And uh, 
then they talked about the church. Well, I guess they were talking about it was all like, what do you call them? Like Christians. Um, there to talk about culture and the church. Um, yeah. And they talked about all of those things and what one should do about the other and, and how does the church, Christian people, followers of Christ, how do, how do they deal with culture? How are we supposed to deal with culture, if you're one of them? And the discussions that outlined several positions people took. And they, these people gave example from the realm of the book learning about uh, different ways that one might answer the questions of how the church should deal with culture or how we as followers of the Christian way should interact with culture. And, uh, you know, after talking, they talking went around and around and a lot of different people. You know, if you ever go to one of these meetings with all these Christian-like ministers there, they like to talk. They, everybody wants to share their opinion. Um, and so they go around and they're talking a lot and it, they, they finally came down to this. Well, two different camps. There are the separationists and the accommodationists. That's right. The separationists see the culture as completely sinful, unclean, anti-Christy, and they advocate standing outside the culture and from a perch of non-participation, yelling in a prophetic voice, yelling prophetic words at the culture, using the prophetic voice. I like to hear people talk about using the prophetic voice because, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what it is. What is the prophetic voice like? Is it more like your outside voice than your inside voice? I would think. Does everyone have one? You know, the way they talk, does everybody know how to do that? So, I mean, I know everybody has an inside voice and an outside voice, and maybe a prophetic voice, but you know, not everyone can do that Donald Duck voice. I mean, I can't. I don't have a Donald Duck voice. The accommodationists, on the other hand, see culture as neutral. It's not evil, it's not good, and it's not evil. It provides a common language and a point of reference to communicate with people about the Jesus. Hey, you might, they might say, we both have the same uh, digital music player, you know. Do you know where you're going to go if you die today? Want to get a smoothie? You know, it's just... So I needed an exhaust fan for my bathroom. You know, because all the moisture from the shower and it makes the paint uh, not be good. Um, so I went to the Home Depot. I don't know if you've been to this place. Because uh, they, have, they have really big stores. And I thought, you know, they have everything there. I think I've heard them say that. I think that's like their slogan. They have everything there. It's gigantic. And uh, so I go there. And this is a prime example of how competition increases consumer choice, right? Home Depot. And I found the aisle where they had the exhaust fans. You couldn't believe it. When I arrived in front of the exhaust fan display, I looked and after looking closer, I realized there were only two options. There were only two options, two different styles of exhaust fans. One was square and the other was rectangle. And they were both made by the same company. 
but they had a lot of them. This text. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. The story of the interaction that follows takes place some 50 or 100 years after the ancient rabbis wrote about the limits of the human leader whose image was on a coin. Or it took place around the same time. You might have got this, this before I did. I'm not, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, then the rabbis, the text says, went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. They figured out a good trap. One with no way out. They figured out a question that whichever way Jesus answered it, he would get arrested. If he answered one way, the religious leaders would arrest him. If he answered the other way, the representatives of Rome would arrest him. It was a good question. So these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they sent their disciples, and they went, and they also sent the Herodians, who are sons of Israel, but have kind of sold out, worked for Rome. And they found Jesus, and he was teaching where he'd been teaching. And after a bit of flattery, they say, tell us what you think about this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? That was their question. If he answers yes, it is, then he would be advocating using a coin with the image of the emperor on it and the description Divas or God on it. And using it to pay tribute to this pagan ruler who claimed to be God. Then the religious leaders would cry out, blasphemy, and they would arrest him. Now if he answered no, he would be advocating rebellion against Rome. And the Herodians would cry out, treason, and they would arrest him. So when the two-option trap is handed to Jesus, he feels not at all threatened, not at all trapped. He doesn't answer the question. He asks them a question. First he says, show me the coin used to pay the taxes. They bring him the coin. Then he said to them, whose image is on this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Then, they said, then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. The powers, the world runners present him with two different options and he takes neither. He is asked to come out on the side of the religious leaders or on the side of Rome. He does neither. Neither the rulers of Israel or the rulers of Rome mean anything to him. He sees them as powerless. He opts out. He is living in the kingdom of God. He does not choose red. He does not choose blue. He does not choose separation. He does not choose accommodation. He doesn't choose. He doesn't choose square. He doesn't choose rectangle. He doesn't choose because he knows that they are false choices. They are no choices. They have no power. To define yourself for the culture or to define yourself against the culture, I mean, do whichever you want. But either way, 
you are granting that idol power and bowing down in front of it. Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? All right, give it to him. I don't care what you do with the little coin. Participate or not, you know? Just don't grant it any power. Don't grant it any power. The best part of this, the part that I really want to try and get inside me, is this thing about giving to God what is God's. Forget all that other stuff about giving to Caesar. Giving to God what is God's, which is your whole self, which is all that you are. That seems like a harder question, how to do that. But it seems much more worthwhile to try.